So if you have your Bibles today, um, you can open them up to 2 Corinthians 8. We'll be looking primarily in 2 Corinthians 8, your Bible or your apps or whatever, however you use it. And we'll bounce into some other verses as well. All of the verses except for one will actually should be, if Aaron does his job correctly, all the verses except for one should be up on the, on the uh, screen as we go through them. And it, it is a privilege to speak about giving today from a perspective of technically a layperson. I'm not a leader here or anything like that, but as a layperson to be able to speak on giving, I think it's a special privilege. And so we're going to look, look and see what Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 8 as the grace of giving. And, and it's in the modern church today that we seem to have two extremes when we start talking about this whole thing of giving and our money and our treasure and things like that. First, we have the prosperity teachers. They say, send us your money and God will bless you with health and wealth and many riches. And so the people follow that. The prosperity gospel is pretty simple. The people send their money to the preacher and the preacher goes out and buys some really nice cars and beautiful home. And in some cases, honestly, some cases, a private jet. <clears throat> and then they go back to their people and they say, see, you can be wealthy too if you just send more of your money to me. And so the people continue to give money because they want to be rich like the pastor is. And that is totally, absolutely false teaching. And yet it goes on today in the Christian church. Now there's another extreme, though, of churches that for some reason choose not to speak about giving. Maybe out of fear of offending people. Maybe out of fear of people leaving the church if it's pushed too much. And they may teach on it when the budget gets low and they need some money in the coffers to get the budget up. But other than that, they're pretty quiet about it. And that is, that's wrong as well because Jesus spoke regularly about giving and about the, the blessing of giving. <clears throat> Scholars say that that um, uh, scholars who re reviewed it closely say that Jesus spent about 15% 15 of his time preaching on money, goods, uh, possessions, wealth, however you want to frame that up. 11 out of his 39 parables spoke to this. And it was the single most common topic for him to speak about was our treasure. So there's some specific reasons why Jesus did that. He spoke regularly about it. First, there is a blessing in the act of giving for, for those who give. It doesn't mean financial blessing necessarily, could, but it doesn't necessarily mean financial blessing. But there are blessings that are far greater, and we'll see some of them as we go into the text today, far greater than even having financial wealth here on earth. The second and the more important reason Jesus spoke regularly about giving is because our treasure reveals our heart and what is important to us. And a passage from Matthew speaks to this. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus didn't speak about money because he was obsessed with it. He didn't speak about it because he wanted us to have a lot of it. He didn't speak about it because he thought the church of the future was going to have big budgets that he'd need to cover. He spoke about it because he knew that money was a hard issue for each one of us. And it's one of the most likely reasons for us to have an idol in our life. Some say that the average American spends 50% of their time thinking about money in some frame possessions, their money, how do I get more, 
Um, can I get a loan? How do I buy that new car? And, and just consumed and that type of thing, 15, 50% of the time. Now, I don't, I don't know if that statistic is correct or not, but I do know that we spend a significant amount of our time thinking about possessions and wealth. And as it is true, as Jesus says, how we handle our money shows what our true affections are and what is truly our treasure in this world. So today we're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to see what Apostle Paul wrote to the early church about how God has purposed our stewardship for his glory and for our own good. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word you've given us. Um, we just pray that, that uh, you would speak to each one of us here today, me included, Lord. Even I've been challenged even as I've went through this passage, Lord, on my own giving and um, my own treasure. And I just pray that you'd speak to each person here, wherever they are in life, um, and, and show them where our true treasure should be. And teach us from Paul's teaching what is important and how we should use our, our treasures that you've given us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to consider the question, what is this grace of giving that Paul refers to in the passage Josh read earlier? After stating the many things that the Corinthians were excelling as, and as, as followers of Christ, Paul says in verse 7, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So in order to set the table for today's message, we need to see that there's basically three groups of Christians that Paul is talking to, or referencing, not talking to, but referencing in this passage. First are the Christians in Jerusalem who are experiencing extreme poverty as a result of their new faith in Jesus Christ. Second is the Corinthians church that Paul is actually writing this letter to, and here he's encouraging them to show generosity towards those Christians that are in Jerusalem. And the third is the church in Macedonia that Paul uses as a great example for the Corinthians, and we'll see it as an example for us as well. Now there's three aspects of giving that we will be looking at today and consider. First, we're going to see some examples of giving, which Paul used in his writings to the Corinthians and are also applicable to us. Second, we're going to see how we should give. This will kind of expand on that heart issue that, that I referenced earlier, and, and it'll help us understand how much should we give, where should I give to, and those types of things with giving. And then finally, we're going to see the blessing in giving. We will see how we're blessed by our giving. God receives glory, and we're blessed, although not necessarily financially, and there will be great reward in heaven for how we share what we have here on earth. So the, for the first example of giving, Paul provides in his letter uh, to the Corinthians, it's an example of the Macedonian churches. Now the Macedonian churches, Macedonia was an area of north Greece, the northern part of Greece, and within Macedonia there were various cities. Two of the cities, Thessalonica and Philippi, were two cities where Christians had developed, or, or Paul had led people to start a church there. And he's written letters to both of them. Philippians was written to the Philippi, and Thessalon the first and second Thessalonians was written to Thessalonica. And so that's where Macedonia is. So when we refer to Macedonia during this passage, we're actually talking about a group of churches in that area. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich 
generosity. <clears throat> we can see their severe trial expressed in Paul's later letter that he wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians 1.29, where he writes, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Think about that. The Philippians were granted the privilege of suffering for Christ, which then was their severe trial he refers to here in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul also refers to severe suffering in the Macedonian churches in a previous letter he wrote to, Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1.6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Just like the church in Jerusalem, both the, Thess the Philippians and the Thessalonians were themselves, in fact, suffering because of their faith in Christ. And yet, we see their own suffering, suffering didn't diminish their desire to be generous in their giving. Don't miss that point. Though they also suffered, just like the Jews in Jerusalem, the early Christians in Jerusalem, their suffering did not diminish their own desire to be generous. 2 Corinthians 8, 2. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. The phrase extreme poverty is literally down in the depth poverty, or we would say they were at rock bottom. And yet they were overflowing with joy, which then welled up in this rich generosity that he's talking about. While the Macedonian church's material welfare had worsened as a result of their new faith in Christ, their spiritual life was overflowing. Paul attributed that to the grace of God. They had plenty of reasons to be sorrowful, but instead they rejoiced. Though in the extreme poverty themselves, they generously helped meet the needs of others. And though they had nothing, they possessed everything that matters. They learned, just as Paul had, that God's grace is sufficient no matter what our circumstances. And his grace is sufficient to take their weaknesses, in this case, poverty and suffering, and through those weaknesses to, to display God's power. The Macedonian church in giving, in, in giving had nothing to do with their circumstances or having an abundance to give from. Instead, it came out of that overflowing joy that they had as followers of Christ. So the Macedonian church is our first example that Paul gives us. The second example of, Paul, of giving that Paul uses is in 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul makes it clear, giving is not a command, but rather it's a test of the sincerity of our hearts. 1 John 3.17 speaks to this. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So how we share our riches shows where our heart is. And Paul here says it's an outward sign of the sincerity of our love for Christ. Paul then goes on to use the example of Christ's grace and given his life for us as a comparison. I won't even attempt to pretend that we can comprehend what Christ gave up 
to leave heaven to come here for us. I've been doing a kind of a deep dive study on heaven for something I'm, something I'm writing. And the more I study about heaven, the more I realize we cannot comprehend the glory and the awesomeness of what it'll be like. And in addition, we cannot comprehend the riches that Jesus gave up in order to become poor here for us. Paul uses this as an example for us. If Christ could leave the beautiful awesomeness of heaven and leave all the riches and glory there to come here for us, we can surely give of what we have to help meet the needs of others. So the second example he uses is Jesus Christ himself. Here's a picture of a group of Christian women uh, I met in Ethiopia. All of them live in extreme poverty. Most of them with no husband and some children that they need to provide for. And to give a perspective, I visited one woman, and not in this picture, who lived in a mud hut with a mud floor. On the wall, one wall of her hut was caving in. Their, Their huts are made from sticks driven into the ground and then packed with mud around those sticks, and that, this, that's what makes the wall. And her one wall was caving in, and the mud had fallen off of it, and you can see daylight through the wall. Her monthly rent was 25 cents, and she was three months behind in rent, 75 cents behind in rent. And she had no hope of catching up. And she was fearful that she was going to be evicted from her hut. She had five kids, and her husband was lying on a cot behind a curtain in the room we were standing, dying of age. That is down in the depths of poverty. And with that as a perspective, that's similar to what these women that you see in the picture here were experiencing as well. Now, some of the women in this picture had been saving up small amounts of money when they could in hopes of getting some type of a business for themselves to provide for their families. One of the women was getting very close to having enough money to start a small business being able to sell some foodstuffs, which would generate enough money that she could take care of her family. The other women, some of the other women in this picture, had the same hope for their own lives, and they pooled their small amounts of money to help the first woman get her business started. That is sacrificial giving. Living In our first world environment here in Johnson County, we can't even comprehend that kind of sacrifice. They provide a great example of that Macedonian heart that Paul was referring to and encouraging us towards in the willingness to sacrifice as Christ did for us. So they become our third example of giving. What a great example for us. Stretch ourselves in our giving more than what we're comfortable with. It's like the Macedonians and the women in poverty of Ethiopia. It's often those who have the least who are the most generous givers of what they do have, with the little few resources they do have, rather than those who have the most. I want you to catch this one. Rich generosity is not dependent on how much you give. It is dependent on how much you give relative to how much you have. Thinking of rich generosity here. Rich generosity is not dependent on how much you give. It's dependent on how much you give relative to how much you have. Paul expresses it in verse 12 of chapter 8. For if the willingness is there, 
The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. You could actually replace that word willingness with heart. For if the heart is there, the gift is acceptable. So the Macedonians give us our first example of of giving them in rich generosity, if you're taking any kind of note there. We see the second example of how we should give in 2 Corinthians 8, 3 and 4. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Wow! They saw sharing as a privilege, not a burden, not as something that they had to do. And they urgently pleaded with Paul to allow them to give. I can just picture Paul here as saying, look, you guys are suffering too, you don't have money, you're poor, don't worry about it, it's okay. You don't need to give. The Macedonians are saying, no, please let us give too. What an amazing example of their sincerity and heart in their giving. What would drive them to have that kind of an attitude? Verse 5, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. If you have not first given yourself to the Lord, you cannot understand the sincerity of heart being expressed here by the Macedonians. In Matthew 19, the story is told of Jesus' interaction with the rich young man who, he asked Jesus, what must I do to get eternal life? And after a little discussion, Jesus tells the rich man, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The story ends with the rich man going away sad because the scripture says he had great wealth. Now, Jesus didn't tell the rich man to sell everything he had and give it to the poor because it was a work that he needed to do in order to get eternal life. Nor is he telling us that we need to sell everything we have and give it away. Jesus' response to the rich man was because he knew the rich man's heart. And he knew it was wrapped up in his treasure. And in order to completely give himself to Christ, he needed to remove that treasure from his heart. It was his heart that was the problem, not his wealth. And whereas the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord and then out of their poverty gave to the poor, the rich young man was not able to do that because of his love of his riches. I think the most important New Testament teaching on giving is found in 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the Macedonians were cheerful givers as they pleaded with Paul for the privilege of sharing with the poor in Jerusalem. Their cheerfulness came from giving their hearts first to the Lord, and then, which then replaces those idols of earthly, earthly things. It puts everything else into perspective when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Their sharing became a desire they cheerfully wanted to do out of their love for Christ and appreciation for what he had done. So they provide another example of how to give as the Macedonians did with the sincerity of heart. 
In looking at our third aspect of how we should give, a question often asked is, well, how much should I give? And many, te- many churches teach you should give 10%. Now, I personally am not sure that there's a clear precedent for 10% in the New Testament. I'm concerned by telling people they need to give 10% that um, we're setting an expectation that that's all they need to give. And some people have the ability to give far more than that. And we deny those people the ability to really give from their heart and, and the blessing of giving if we tell them 10% is some magic number that you've got to arrive at, and then you're doing really good. Maybe for them, it's 25%, or 50%, or 75%. And then on the other hand, there are some people who are in poverty, they're struggling financially, and they don't have the ability to give 10% at this time in their life. By saying 10%, we're pushing them to give under compulsion, not cheerfully and not from the heart. So my challenge would be, start giving something with 2 Corinthians 9, 7 in mind, as you have decided in your heart and not reluctantly or under compulsion as a cheerful giver. And as you give, I know you'll experience the great blessing of giving. And over time, you'll desire to give more and you'll realize it truly is better to give than to receive. As I was Working through this message, Josh and I visited about it, and with his permission, I want to tell a story he shared which was meaningful. He said growing up, his mom was a single mother, raising two kids by herself. They were poor and didn't have a lot of financial wealth to give the church, so his mom gave what she could give, but she also gave generously of her time, doing things at the church as part of her giving. What a sweet example. Giving is an issue of the heart. And she gave generously and cheerfully in the ways in which she was able. God doesn't need our money. But he wants the sincerity of our heart in everything that we do. Finally, a a last question on um, how we should give is, who should I give to? Which is often asked. And we don't have time to do a deep dive into this, but I will suffice to say you should pray for wisdom in your giving and then give as you are led through that prayer by the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the local church should be on that list. Acts 4 tells of the early believers bringing money and placing it at the feet of the apostles who then distributed to the needy. Our modern church is a little different than the church of Acts. The modern church has needs for buildings and infrastructure, and other things that are needed to extend the kingdom in the modern world. And we obviously should give to the church and help support that. But it's not the only way we can give. Supporting missionaries is another example of how we can give to the Lord. A few weeks ago, we had our Global Workers Conference here at Parkview. And if you were here that Sunday, you heard Eric and Melissa McDonald share about their mission work with navigators to the international students here at the University of Iowa. In their humbleness, they didn't state that, um, in, their, in their humbleness, they didn't even talk about needing to raise financial support in order to be able to do the work that they do with the internationals. I can almost guarantee you that they don't have their full support raised, as is the case with most missionaries in the field around the world. They depend on people like us for prayer and financial support 
to be doing the work. So supporting missionaries like the McDonald's, both through prayer and financial help, is another great way that we can give to the Lord. And a third example of who we give to is through helping others in need. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 25, where he tells of people being welcomed into heaven. In the passage, he is asked, the, the people, in the passage, he highlights how they gave to him when he was hungry or thirsty or needing clothes. And the people ask, well, when did we do that for you? In Matthew 25, 40, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. In the past couple of weeks, we actually had the opportunity to do that here through the work of Matt and Heidi Eckert. Um, and they've been doing it to encourage a family that had no clothes or no, no furniture for a, an apartment they were moving into. So by meeting the needs of them, people like them, in Jesus' name, it is equally giving to the Lord as much as giving to missionaries, as much as giving to the church. So how should you give? Pray for wisdom, and then give without compulsion, but cheerfully, as the Holy Spirit leads you. Finally, I want to close with looking at the blessing in giving. There's been a popular expression in recent years called pay it forward. And the basic concept is the beneficiary of a good deed repays the kindness by passing forward a kind act to someone other than the original giver. And I find it interesting how often our secular lives and things that go on in the secular world kind of interface with biblical truths and biblical foundations, even though they weren't intended to. Pay it forward is a, a case such as that. In reality, the first real giver of pay it forward was God the Father, who sent his son Jesus as a substitute for sinners like us, and it gave us the gift of eternal life as a result. And now as Christians, we have the opportunity to pay it forward out of our, our appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. 1 Timothy 6.19 says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When we share with others from the blessings that God has given us, we are investing in people's eternal destiny and we're laying up treasure for ourselves in the coming age, treasure in heaven. In Philippians 4, Paul commends the Philippians for how generous they have been to him. He makes a very insightful statement in Philippians 4, 17. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. Paul is saying, I'm not asking for gifts from you because of my need, but I want you to see and I want you to lay up credit to your account in heaven. Paul always lived with an eternal perspective, and he had a clear understanding of how what we do on earth as Christians, impacts eternity for us and the rewards that we will have in, in eternity. One of the greatest rewards in heaven is being welcomed into heaven by those who have, we have influenced in their walks with Christ. Whether that's helping someone in need, supporting the church ministries, those people 
who are in heaven as a result of the actions that we do will acknowledge, the, will acknowledge us and be our reward. Paul also speaks of this in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul said those who are in heaven as a result of his ministry on earth would be his greatest glory, his greatest joy in eternity. And it's the same for each one of us. Oswald Chamber writes in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, a river reaches places which the source never knows. Think about that. A river reaches places which its source never knows. And when you give to help and support ministries or individuals, you may never know the impact downstream of that gift this side of eternity. Imagine what it will be like to stand in heaven and have, have someone come up to you and embrace you and thank you for what you did and the impact that had on them. Whether that's a little box for Operation Christmas Child and the result of that was the little child coming to know the Lord. Whatever that is, whether you're supporting missionaries, you're supporting Parkview, people impacted by that will be your greatest glory and your greatest joy. Then we will fully understand the answer to that question. What is this grace of giving that Paul refers to in today's passage? And just as Christ gave his life for us in love through grace, which is receiving what we don't deserve, in the same way, the Macedonians showed the sincerity of their love by giving to those in poverty in Jerusalem who were suffering. Not because they deserved it, not because those suffering deserved it, but because it was a gift of grace with no expectation for anything in return from the Christians who received it. That's the example Paul gives to the Corinthians and also to us for how we should share with others what God has given us. And that's the challenge that he gave the Corinthians in verse 7. And he gives to us. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed, I want to challenge three different groups here today. First, if you're not giving to the ministry of Parkview or to others in need or to missionaries or individuals, then start. Start with prayer for wisdom and begin giving any amount you feel led to give. Pray God not only uses what you give for his glory, but also teaches and rewards you through that giving. The second group are those who are already giving. It doesn't matter what the amount. Stretch yourself. Continue to grow in your giving as a gift to the Lord out of what he has given you. 
And the third group is those who have been here, maybe here this morning, and have never experienced giving themselves first to the Lord through receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Financial giving is meaningless unless you first give your life to Christ. Do that today. Father, thank you for these examples you've given us of others who have learned the joy of giving back and giving to others as you have given to us. We can't imagine what Jesus gave up to come here from heaven. I pray that no one leaves here this morning without a personal relationship with Christ. Challenge each one of us on what we should be doing to share with others, both financially and through word. And use our gifts, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.